Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be doing something a bit special this week. In honor of the 10th anniversary of Game of Thrones' premiere on HBO back in April of 2011, we'll be giving our thoughts on the show. The catch is, they won't be our current thoughts. That's right, we're reaching in the box office show vault to bring out an episode we recorded in April 2019, right before the final season aired. You'll get to hear the discussion our past selves had as we were in the midst of the massive cultural phenomenon that was Game of Thrones. Our lost tape not only provides a snapshot of our perspectives and insights on the series as we were heading into that eighth season, but it also features the riveting opinions of our friends and fellow Westeros fanatics, Spencer Giles and Joe Jacks. Since we were a university-affiliated radio show at the time, we had to make sure that we weren't too explicit. But it's impossible to restrain ourselves when it comes to something we're all so passionate about. Colorful commentary was given, so cuts had to be made. But now that we are our own entity, we're ready to release the unabridged version of our Game of Thrones special so that we can hear Joe untamed. We hope you enjoy listening back on this lost tape as much as we did. Season 8 might have soiled some of the show's legacy, but it still stands as one of the greatest shows of all time. From brilliant to disappointing show never led to dull discussions and yeah maybe sometime soon we'll revisit the series and give a postmortem. maybe the targaryen focused spinoff house of the dragon coming 2022 will reignite the public's obsession with george r, r. martin's incredible fantasy world but for right now we're gonna go back to a time when amidst all the fan theories and unknowns we still had about the game of thrones conclusion we were certain about one thing finally Winter is coming. This is WNSC, University of Central Florida, Orlando, and you're listening to Box Office Breakdown. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. If you could not tell from our intro music, this is our Game of Thrones show. We are going to talk about everything Game of Thrones, breaking down each season, every story arc, and all our favorite characters. There's a big spoiler warning out there, folks, so if you haven't seen the show, maybe don't listen in. We have two very special guests today. Our first guest is a filmmaker and Game of Thrones expert, Spencer Giles. How are you, Spencer? I'm doing great. Thank you. And along with Spencer, we have Joe Jacks, a fellow filmmaker and friend and a Game of Thrones fan who has some unique opinions on the later seasons. Welcome, Joe. What is up, dog? <laughs> Thank you for that. We're going to be also talking about the box office num- numbers for last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. Then at the end of the show, we're going to name our classic movie of the week. And right now we're going to get into the box office report. And the top is none other than Shazam. The DC Venture picked up $53 million domestically this weekend and more than $159 million worldwide. Comparisons have been drawn to Marvel's Ant-Man's opening which was $57.2 million domestic, which, if this comparison remained true, would put Shazam's total worldwide gross at about $500 million. While the boy-turned-superhero flick exceeded expectations this past week and has an astounding 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, there is some cause for concern. Obviously, when Endgame comes out later this April, all other films will be snapped out of existence in the minds of their filmgoers, so Shazam has a limited window to gross as much as it can. And China, like we mentioned often in this segment before, is a very important market for blockbuster films nowadays. Aquaman owes a lot of its success to China, but as it was the lowest opening weekend for DC films domestically, Shazam underperformed in the China debut. Shazam, with good word of mouth, might very well maintain its momentum here, but it'll be very it'll be a difficult financial journey without the heavy assist from China's moviegoers. Not to worry if you are a Shazam fan, however, because there are already reports that a sequel can be expected, with largely largely the same minds behind it. Number two for this weekend is the adaptation of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery with the $25 million opening. This is in line with studio predictions for the picture, as well as other films like Evil Dead Remake or 2007's Halloween Remake. Based on those films, Pet Cemetery should should, uh, bow out somewhere around $60 million domestic. Number three saw Dumbo taking a hard fall with a 60% drop from last weekend, amounting to $18.2 million. The film has $218 million worldwide, but things still look bleak for Tim Burton's reimagining of the Disney classic. Jordan Peele's horror thriller Us takes the number four spot with $13 million. The genre competition from Pet Cemetery does seem to have affected Us's performance, 
but it seems like the sophomore effort from the writer-director will soon surpass Get Out's domestic gross of, 160, of $176 million. And taking the fifth spot is Captain Marvel, pulling in $12 million. This marks the first weekend in 2019 that's each of the top five films at the box office grossed over $10 million. Truly, the movie season is finally gearing up for this year. The last film we'll discuss is the opening weekend for the Styx film, The Best of Enemies, starring Sam Rockwell and Taraji P. Henson. It made $4.4 million, disappointing even from its low expectations. And next week, we'll discuss how Hellboy, Little, and Missing Link fared at the increasingly crowded box office. But now, it is time to discuss Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones has been an amazing series and a revolution for television. Based on George R.R. R. Martin's book series, A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones follows the warring families of Westeros as they battle for the Iron Throne and to rule all. From the noble Starks to the conniving Lannisters that all pay their debts and the overthrown Targaryens, Westeros is a battleground for power. And now as the show draws to a close, we reflect on the past eight years. Winter is here. All right, gentlemen. Excellent introduction, fellas. There's a Styx movie with a... Sam Rockwell? Yeah. He's playing a, uh, can you believe it? Yeah. He's playing a KKK person. It's, wow. it's oh, like, I think I saw the trailer for it. It's like Green Book. Like one of those Wait, sticks like Hidden the band? Figures. It's like Green Book or Hidden Figures. No, like a company. Oh, I thought it was the band. I, I, that would have been sick if it was. That would have been a lot better and a lot less racist. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> Sticks um, does not have the why, though. The film company. Yeah, no why. No, I wish. For, I, I made up a better movie in my head just now. But yeah, Game of Thrones. All right, we're going to talk about season one. What did you guys think? You have, Spencer, you have some book knowledge. I have a lot of book knowledge. You do. You read the books. How do you think they fared? Because they're pretty much like the same, aren't they? Yeah. Like that was a faithful adaptation. Season one is a straight adaptation, basically. But you're stupid, right? Because you don't like the books. Or no. It's not that you don't like the books, but you, everybody I know who's read the books says it's like the best thing ever, and you're the one guy who's like, it's like, yeah, they're okay. Uh, I think the first book and the first season are exactly the same almost. But the first season, the first season, uh, the book leaves out some moments. And there's a moment where uh, Viserys, brother of Daenerys, tries to steal the dragon eggs. And the show expands on these moments, makes them longer, more personal. But I like it with season one is that this expanded moments. And it the show goes in this tighter direction where the books go crazy and everywhere where so many people, <laughs> so many people show up, die, have no importance. There's a Targaryen who shows up in the fifth book out of nowhere and just tries to take over the world. Is that and the uh, he's like, Egg or what's his name? Yeah, yeah. His name's Egg. It's Aegon. And he shows up and he's just 18 years old. And he just buys army in like a month and tries to take. Is over he Westeros. like a major character in the the books? Um, he appears. He has he's a major plot development. <laughs> yeah, he's got a comic book, right? I think, or there's like a bunch of stuff. No, that's a different Aegon. That's there's like eighteen Aegons. There's eighteen Aegons basically. But yeah. I I love season one. It's just a political thriller. And there's really no fantasy. It's only at the beginning of the season at the end. Both about the White Walkers and dragons, of course, and the best part. But it's really just seeing this man who wants to uncover the mystery of why his father figure, John Aaron, died. And leads to a bunch of incest. <laughs> yeah, what do you guys... Right. Right. Like you said, it starts with John Aaron, the death of John Aaron, who was the hand of Robert Baratheon, the king of Westeros. And now Robert Baratheon is turning to his childhood friend, Ed Stark, Nedard Stark. And so... We're introduced to the Stark family, who are these noble characters, and like going through each one of these. Who's your favorite Stark? My my favorite Stark is Ned, and it's because he is the only honorable character in the entire show. Whoa. Truthfully, I believe so. He's a man that sticks by his guns, and you know, the, like Ramsay, he's so honorable. So honorable. Yeah. Um, the only moment that Ned does something that goes against his honor as for his daughters and that's when he lies and says he is a traitor and the moment this honorable man betrays this code is when he gets killed and that really sets the tone for did the show did you watch that like when it was happening or like when did you guys start watching the show i was like in what season 13 and i was in eighth what? grade <laughs> yeah did you start with season one were you 13 when season one was coming out no uh season four was just about to start 
When you I were think. 13? Was I, I 13 so. too? Yeah, I was 13 or 14. I was in eighth grade. Wow. I was about the age. No, of... I was the exact same. Yeah. When the, season four is like the finale was like going to happen like the, the next week. And so I had like yeah. six days to catch up completely. And I did it all. I remember nerding out with my eighth grade English teacher. Me and her, we talked about the death of Joffrey. And we were like, yeah, kill that. that you can bond word. with your teachers over over I, and my math teacher in eighth grade we bonded over breaking bad yeah it's tight both are good shows to bond over um my favorite stark would also be ned for all the reasons you pointed out also sean bean is incredible mm-hmm. and also i think that character arc there where he was the most honorable but he did something that was dishonorable but we of course knew that was that was because he was a great father yeah, but then now everyone else no but then everyone else thinks <laughs> You know, he was actually a bad person to actually try to, like, collude to kill the king when that wasn't true. That's so sad and so tragic. Now, of course, we're also introduced to the Lannisters because Cersei is married to Robert. And initially, we are led to believe that they could be allies to the Starks because in terms of allegiances, since she's married to Robert, the Lannisters and Starks start off on a pretty good footing for the series. And that just all deteriorates by the end, mostly due to Joffrey and Cersei's meddling. So what do you think of the Lannisters when you first meet them in the series? I love the Lannisters. And I think they start off very like devious to begin with. Because the first time you meet them is when it's Jamie and Cersei talking over uh, John Aaron's funeral bed. And they're talking about, do you think he found out? And talking about the mystery of their twincest. <laughs> and that, like they start off in this devious position. And even when you begin to meet them, like even when Tyrion shows up, he's just this drunk little little guy. But they start off as almost archetypes of evil, like political greatness. And <laughs> and the, I think the best moment with the Lancers is when Jamie talks to Ned Stark, and Ned hates Jamie because he thinks he's this honorable man that took this vow of life to protect his king, and he stabs him in the back. And they have this great interaction in Winterfell where Ned calls him out for being dishonorable. Did you understand any of of that stuff when you watched the first time? Because I was really trying hard to keep up with like, especially in season one in like, you know, 13 year old Joe was like, you really don't get a lot of the backstory when you first start watching the show as far as like why it's important that they call him the king. So they're like, what happened Mm -hmm. with a... with like Jamie or, or the you know the the old kings or there's so much lore and so much like backstory. I, I had to like look everything up before I actually like start started like follow the show. Yeah, what I did is that I watched uh, the first season. I torrented it. And how dare you, yeah. dude? Cut this. How cut this. could you? <laughs> and then uh, also I, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting, but I like missed a lot. Mostly what I got out was that Ned died and that Arya was really cool when I first watched it. And so I went back and I, and I read all five books. And I realized oh, how much nerd. I missed. And I went back and rewatched season one and caught myself up. And I was just so surprised how much I missed. And I don't understand how the show's so popular. Yeah, because so much that like more so in the beginning because in the beginning it's very dense and very like political and mm-hmm. and kind of hard to follow. And not to get too ahead yeah. of ourselves, I think that goes away pretty much after <laughs> season five. Is like when they mm-hmm. when the. Yeah, you know, I guess we could talk about that later when we talk about the later seasons. But it's like that initially is like why I like the show so much is because it was like I didn't I really needed to like pay attention in order to like follow it. Like you can't really like miss an episode or like not pay attention for an episode because you're going to be like, what? who is that? Like what's happening? I know. And I love that about the show is that like every scene is so important either to the characters in the first four seasons. I think even in the later seasons where everything is still so much relevant to them in that moment. Yeah, that, that's I, what like helps to it make it so unpredictable. Yeah, or especially the lore stuff. Like, I think if you don't know the stuff about the houses and the history mm-hmm. and like Robert's Rebellion, it's really hard to like piece together certain things. Or you're going to be like more behind than somebody who like knows about that stuff would be. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the end of season one, we get Joffrey's first decision as king, which is even though Ed Ned denounces. Stannis's claim to the throne and his own type of coup, even though he's, of course, we know now, right. Joffrey continues to go ahead and have uh, Ned beheaded, which really just separates the Starks almost instantaneously in that moment. Because we have Sansa, who's being held captive in King's Landing. We have Arya, who's being taken to Castle Black to meet up with Jon. We have Jon, who's in Castle Black. We have Rob and Rickon and Bran are all stuck in 
Winterfell, and then Rob goes off to Under the War, so leaving Rickon and Bran behind. So everyone just sort of scatters, absolutely. And that really like shows this sort of de-evolution of the Stark family. What do you think? Has that come full circle? Have they come back to being a whole family again now that we're at near the end? I think it's cool to see them together or like whenever they like meet up again, but I, I don't, it's like weirdly, it's definitely not the same tone and it was in, in the beginning. Like the realism really isn't there in the later seasons. So when they do meet again, it's like, you know, I have don't know. They, I think the Arya and, uh, and Sansa stuff was like a little weird. Have they all, have all of them gotten together again though? Like the Bran, Arya, I don't think they no, have. John yeah. has not met Arya and Bran yet. Yeah, so we haven't had the full. That's coming up in season eight. Yes, which will be interesting. I mean, you should still be excited for that, right, Joe? All of them back. I'm together excited. It's just season seven years. was such a roller coaster of emotions for me. It's like every episode was like it was me and my brother would watch it together and just start screaming about it after each episode, and just be like, "This, I don't know, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to scream here." But, uh, but you know. It's 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 a it's a little chill chill little show. I just think what's happening over here. And I don't want to point anything out, but there's there's some. some We're going. going what, what's happening, Joe? We're going to take a quick break. Yeah. Okay. And when we return, we'll talk more about those later seasons that you want to get to so bad. But we'll talk about you know the prime. Welcome back to box office breakdown. The time is four twenty six. Bill and I are joined by our colleagues Spencer Giles and Joe Jacks, and we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. And Spencer, you. Are on the edge of your seat trying to talk about Sansa and Arya. Hey, yes. Welcome back. We just talked about how the Stark family reunions. And I think this is where the show in its latest season kind of failed and had like the worst moment of the show for me. Because earlier in season six, John and Sansa, these two characters who were so separated and even, even though they were related by blood, they weren't connected emotionally because they've been through so much in these five years that's happened, that when they finally see each other, another family member, they hug and they feel connected. But when Arya just shows up later, they like, the show manipulates the audience and makes this fake character. And they have this weird tension and they lie to each other and they make it seem Arya is either going to kill Sansa or Sansa's going to kill Arya. But at the end, it's just this big twist, this fake tension in order to kill Littlefinger. And it just doesn't make any sense, especially when they have these moments of tension when Littlefinger's not there and it's just the two of them. And you see no planning of killing Littlefinger, who shouldn't have died. I think the Littlefinger death, one of the worst moments in the entire show as far as, like, I mean, just they didn't even think it through. Like, they, what is it, the the Tyrion trial in, like, season three? That was, like, an entire season of, like, like uh, you know, people it's like a big trial and they do the trial by combat and it's like a huge deal. I think it lasts like half the season. And then it's like, Oh, Arya just says like Littlefinger is like doing bad stuff. And then they just kill him in front of everybody. It's like, where's the, where's the logic in anything in the show anymore? Like it really just doesn't make any sense like internally. And with Littlefinger, if compared to the books, Littlefinger is one of the most interesting characters to me. And that's because he realized when he kills uh Callan Stark sister pushing out the moon door he reveals that he planned this entire war that he was the one who sent the fake letter he helped kill John Aaron he calls the war between the Starks and Lannisters because chaos is a ladder and he just wants to sit on this iron throne <laughs> and he had this entire plan to came out he was seeing it in such a bird's eye view and was seeing five years ahead while everyone else was seeing so so close to the chest and they kept it so personal and revengeful and he was thinking so objectively and he just killed killed off by these two girls for no reason so you you guys would say you're fans of Littlefinger like big fans of Littlefinger yes well, he's a cool he's a cool character I, I think a lot of people like him better than me I like the, that he's like conniving but I think it ruins pretty much everything to find out it's like because the whole time you're like oh secretly like you don't know beyond our knowledge he's like doing all this stuff and you never really know like who who can actually trust him and then it's like it just turns out he's kind of dumb yeah in the books he's just like this genius level like he's like almost a stephen hawking of politics in this world and the show doesn't do that justice it does it in the earlier seasons but later he just goes on this character with just an army and i do like how sansa is the one to cause him to die but it's built off this fake tension with Arya that she has that causes death to feel 
emotionless. It's such a dumb scene, just mm-hmm. the just killing him in front of everybody. And ugh. I can I can understand that. We'll, we'll get more into that around the time we talk about season seven and eight. So back to we're around season two now. What do you think of the uh, maybe major episode of that season, the Battle of Blackwater, where Tyrion really takes control and shows his true side as not just a drunk, as a force to be reckoned with? No, that was mad chill. I think, uh, you know, was it when Podrick and Bronn and, and Tyrion, was that when they were doing their whole thing? I think that was one of the, the highlights of the show. Was when they're, it's like I go back to YouTube and just look up old clips of them like, palling around and like Podrick got a really big wiener and like <laughs> apparently right that was yeah. I it's been so long since I've seen this but like there's some I'm trying to think like season two specific stuff was that one I don't think I really liked John that much at that point either I think that's when Rob was really starting to become my favorite character yeah I love the battle of the black water I love it because it's so much character defining for so many people so they want Joffrey to lead this army and he chickens out and abandons all his people and you have the hound having a character defining moment when he's such afraid of fire and he screams F the king and leaves behind everything that he had in King's Landing. And then Tyrion finally becomes this leader that stands up and tries to protect the people he's been protecting all season. And then you have a great little moment with Podrick where he's just this worthless little kid, but with a big wiener. And then he <laughs> stabs him with a, this Kingsguard in the spear and kills him and saves Tyrion's life. And then you have the same thing with Sansa helping other people and then Cersei, who's willing to kill herself to protect her children. There's so much defining character moments in that one battle that makes it so realistic and good. So would you say that the ending to this battle was kind of disappointing in that you see Tyrion take on this leadership role and then he's like fighting off these forces and he's doing a pretty good job, but he's about to lose. And then Tywin just comes in at the last second and takes the glory and takes the position of the hand away from Tyrion and just kind of like takes over and leaves Tyrion to be a drunk again. Is that a little bit disappointing to you? Um, no, I think that's exactly like what Spencer was saying. That's character defining stuff. And then afterwards, of course, is like in the books, he got real ugly after that, like battle, like his nose got cut off. In the books, Tyrion's always been super ugly. Well, he's super fogly. Yeah, no, go ahead. What's his name? The the Peter Dinklage. He's mad cute. Oh yeah, he's super hot. Yeah, he's... Like, we can't yes. say he's ugly just and that's why they didn't have real legs he he's chill. the brad pitt of little people <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate so they didn't want to like make him too ugly because i mean it's impossible to do with peter dinklage but in the books he got real bad and then he got the scar in the show and then it's just this whole thing where tywin now becomes hand of the king and Tyrion is like no longer able to and he loved playing the game because he was good at it and then everything's taken when he saved the city go ahead joe yeah, well, yeah, if you ask if it was disappointing, I guess, like, as an audience member, it's definitely disappointing to see characters that you, like, get, like, bad stuff happen to them, but that's what Game of Thrones is. It's, it's like, as a narrative, it's like, you know, I want more bad stuff to happen. Now, we have all this crazy stuff happening over in Westeros and around King's Landing, and then on the other side of the globe, we have uh, Daenerys Targaryen, who is the descendant of the Tar- Targaryen line and her brother Viserys back in season one of course he gets a gold crown he gets just molten gold just dumped right on his head so he gets taken care of because he was kind of a butt and then we have Daenerys taking control after Khal Drogo unfortunately passes on which was sad to everyone to watch and so she takes control and now she has dragons so in season two we see her going to Karth after the Red Waste getting through all that and in Karth her dragons are taken, and she has to fight her way to get them back. Do you think this is the moment where Daenerys really shows her true colors as a leader of her people and as a true ruler of Westeros, like, as an audience member? I don't think so. In that moment, she's starting to show her leadership capabilities by guiding this group of Dothraki, but it feels so much off, like, fake leadership almost. She hasn't proven herself. And I think it. They ha- her leadership moments in this is like, just the beginning, like the pre-work for her bigger armies. Because all those Dothraki people like die at the end of season two. They all get murdered. And it's almost her fault by trusting these people even when she didn't have a choice. And it sets up that great moment with the Unsullied in the next season. Where she does actually know how to lead people, how to get people to trust her and she trusts them. Well, were you guys, because I feel like Daenerys' character was really strong and her storyline was interesting in the first season. But I think as it progresses and the more power she sort of gets, it kind of... I mean, I'm not saying she doesn't have a character, but I mean, it's like, what can you really say about her other than like, she's a, she's like, wants to be leader. She's like tough. And that, 
I can sort of agree with you there. I thought her season one arc was good. I thought the season two arc for her was the most boring of some of any of the show, but also the weakest for her as a character. Yeah, and like what are her values is like kind of vague because sometimes she like really cares about like ending slavery and all this, but then she's like a really she rules the time for it. It seems like most of what she cares about is just getting power. True, true. And now moving on to season three, we have the war progressing in Westeros, and there's a lot of development with that. Uh, the leader of the Tully passes on, that was Rob's uncle. And then he, so he passes on, and so the Riverlands are exposed in a way. And so now we have Rob kind of like failing out as king, and the Lannisters had this opening, and they fill that opening with what we call the Red Wedding, with the phrase after, in season two, when Rob betrays his arranged marriage with the phrase so the phrase get revenge after they supposedly set up this wedding with edmure tully and one of the Frey daughters and then it all just goes crazy what what in the moment watching that scene what was going through your mind with the red wedding yeah i'm really interested to see if you all knew that was going to happen because when i watched the show i knew that happened and so it kind of like devalued yeah, it too, but if bit. you guys did you not know what was going to happen for most of the show i didn't and then, well, because around season two, when Rob starts like doing his thing, he really like becomes like the coolest character in the show with like his wolf, and he's like, like never lost a battle. He's like so dope, and I was like, this guy's the best. I was like, I hope he makes it to the end. And then I looked up, I think his wiki, or like around season one or two, and I don't know what I was thinking I would find, but then Spoilers. like one of the first thing that comes up is like like season whatever episode nine, like Red Wedding. I'm like, okay, that's what the Red Wedding is. Uh, I read the books, but I had the same thing with Joe where I looked up online on Wikipedia and I didn't see anything about Rob or anything, but I just saw the Red Wedding and I thought that, you know, that sounds very bad and it was very bad. But the thing with Game of Thrones was that there's like 14 weddings at once in that season almost. There's so many people almost getting married, like Tyrion Sansa get married in that season. And yeah, so like I never knew what was going to happen, but it, it completely shocked me. But one thing I do hate about the Red Wedding in the show compared to the books is that Rob's wife is not there in the books. It's a different character entirely. And she's not pregnant. So when the show starts, and it starts by his pregnant wife being stabbed in the stomach and her dying and this baby dying, it just felt like it was trying to cause even more pain and sorrow. In yeah, that's dope, though. And, and I just, it was just almost too much. And in season three, while this is, of course, happening in devastating audiences ever, we have a lot of progression with Jon Snow's storyline up past the wall because he is now separated from his group of Night's Watch and he's now part of the Wildlings as a double agent of sorts. So now he's sort of working inside the Wildlings and inside Mance Raiders kind of group of people as they attempt to go back past the wall and try to assault. And he starts, oh relationship with egret and at the same time the night's watch with samuel tarley and lord commander mormont there's a huge mutiny within them at craster's keep and commander mormont is killed in action and so we have just the split of the night's watch completely at like they all go beyond the wall within the season they all split and it's all just fractured and destroyed and this is john's kind of like defining moment where he well i guess season four but in season three he's really focusing on infiltrating the ranks and really working on his relationship with egret so what did you think about that in terms of him incorporating himself with the wildlings and beginning a real legitimate relationship with egret i think when the show started i did not like Jon snow that much it was like his i mean like when he shows i was like literally his whole character for like a good season and a half was just like it's like, I'm a bastard. And it was like, that was it. That was his whole character. And then as it goes, I feel like the whole thing of why I started to like Jon Snow is just because they took a character who was kind of like mopey and annoying. And just, that's pretty much what you have only, it's like they do that with multiple characters in the show where they just make them go through a lot of hard stuff. And then you just like them, even though their character didn't even really change that much. It's just, you see them struggle a lot. And the more Jon Snow struggled, the more I was like, yeah, it's dope. But, um. Uh, I think when I really started to like him, and especially looking back, probably like my favorite part of the show was like the stuff with him and Agreed. I I love this part of the season. I love Jon Snow. And yeah, I had the same trouble with him in the beginning of him just saying I'm a bastard. But he comes up after he kills Corrin Halfhand and like makes these hard choices. 
And it's also him actually developing an attachment with someone he never thought he could have before with Ingrid. Eats her out. Sick. <laughs> and I, uh, I really, I really like how after season tongue. two treading water basically with these characters and having them kind of sit around, season three finally gave payoffs to all of them from Danny having an army to John B with the wildlings and to Arya traveling with the hound. And I love with the, Night's Watch splitting to two with Samwell is when he and Gilly and they go and they kill a White Walker one of the dopest moments of the show because he can finally be super brave. Alright, do you guys think season three is the best season of the show for you guys? It's hard for me to keep track because I watch them like all at once, so all of them just kind of like blended into like one episode but I, I think of it in terms of like moments with season three was the agreed stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, I think season three was probably the best as far as... I mean, just, yeah, even if I look back at that and especially comparing it to later on when he gets with uh, Daenerys, it's so obvious, like, how the writing changed as far as, like, their chemistry was, like, 100% there and, like, they were, like, making fun of each other. She was, like... He's like, oh, you're stupid, Jon Snow. And he's like, you know, I'm a bastard. And then with him and Daenerys, it was like, it literally felt like the writers were just going, like, yeah, you, you've seen them both. Like, they're here now. They're together. And now after season three, we move on to season four, which starts off with the Purple Wedding, which has Joffrey drink a little too much and poison gets involved. And of course, Joffrey dies almost immediately. And that was a huge sensation to fans everywhere because they loved watching him die so horribly because he was such a he was a great character, but just a terrible, terrible, terrible character. You know what I'm saying? I love the death of Joffrey so much because he he sucks. He's the first person I wish was real to watch him die. If you asked me if I could watch Bin Laden or Joffrey die again, <laughs> I would choose Joffrey. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> Strong opinion. Wait, but Ramsey's worse though, right? Ooh. Watch her. I mean, what? how can you argue? As a person, he's worse. But as a person to hate, I hate Joffrey more. I get I hate I him don't know. so much more. Well, because Ramsey was the type of like obvious evil where it's like it was almost like kind of two-dimensional. Or less so at the beginning. I mean, it was just like, you know, watching him like torture people is much worse than watching Joffrey like misbehave. But Ramsey's also tough. Like, I would not mess with Ramsey. Like, I would not punch Ramsey in the face because he would cut me up and kill me. Yeah, I guess. Joffrey would just have his mom call up at some guards and they would slap me. Yeah. Joffrey and... had his moments though, right? He was chill. No. It was very devastating when he no. died. Incest babies like... aren't chill. <laughs> he had some moments like that one time when Tywin came up to him and he was like, shouldn't we worry about Daenerys across the sea? And he's like, no, you're dumb. But I was like, <laughs> Joffrey was like, right about that. I don't even remember that. Because she was a threat to the thing. All right. Another thing that happened was over in Martell in the mountain. It was tight. What did y'all think of that? Of course, you know, crushed in, in a battle, quite literally. What did you think? It's dope. It was a, I mean, that, yeah, that was a great fight. I mean, as far as the surprise at the end. But yeah, go ahead, Spencer. Oh, I, I love the fight. I love the whole trial. And I love when the mountain, who's being poisoned, picks up Oberyn, lifts him over himself, and just punches all his teeth out. And it's just, <laughs> it's, just it's insane. And then it's just this horrible human scream watching a loved one die, which is bad. But it's just so human. And then you find out later how much she sucks. Oh, yeah, that's true. But then uh, I also love after Tyrion's trial and he's charged and Jamie breaks him out is when Tyrion walks into his father's room with a crossbow and he sees Shay lying there naked and she says, my lion. And that to me shocked me more than the Red Wedding. And then when he takes the necklace that he gave her so many seasons ago and choked her. And then it's just crazy. That wasn't in the books or was it? That was in the books. That was I thought Shane wasn't really that much of a character in the books. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like that wasn't as impactful as it was in the show. No, it's impactful. Oh, and then yeah. when Tywin dies yeah. on the toilet, can we talk about the before that fight was a uh, was didn't wasn't that what the best monologue in the show where the trial he's thing the, he's in the prison and he starts talking about like a kid with Down syndrome that he knew who like you see bugs. <laughs> yeah, what was that? <laughs> I don't know what you're on about. Sorry, right, we're we're gonna take a break after that but don't go anywhere when we come back we're gonna play a game of thrones guessing game and give our predictions for the final season welcome back to box office breakdown the time is 4 45 and it is now time to play a game of thrones guessing game dylan what do you have for us all right so i have it's called guess who game of thrones so basically what we're gonna do is i'm going to start describing a character and you each have one guess to guess who that character is you'll have a brief moment to 
between each like fact that I give to give your answer if you want to give your answer, but you have one chance. Word, and word. if you get it right, the first person who gets it right gets the point with the most points wins. Clear. Yes. Whoever Straight raises up, their huh? hand first gets to say the thing. Word, yeah, let's do it. All right, are you ready? The first character, female. Che. Incorrect. <laughs> Sorry. All right. You're out, bud. Yep. Cersei. It is Cersei. <laughs> what? Yes. All right. One point for Did I miss Spencer. <laughs> How could you have missed that? Second Joe? character. Male. Ned. No, incorrect. Dang. Tyrion. Incorrect. Oh, I thought well, I thought it's up to you. Jen Snow. It is Jon yes. Snow. I'm just saying the Jen right now. <laughs> this, is this is a good game. Hey, you need to raise your hand, Jen. Alright, this one's a little more tricky. It's a less pop it's not a popular character. Okay. Male. Poldrick. No. Hodor. No. Oh, I got nothing. I'm trying, I'm trying <laughs> to think of less popular characters. Uh smart. His great grandfather is from Bravos. Littlefinger. It's Littlefinger. That's not Correct. a minor character. I was thinking like the little kid who sucks the woman's booby. All right. <laughs> My favorite. The next character is a male, a warrior, currently deceased, the... was defeated in battle many times. You have, you have a guess? Uh, is that, I'm out now. You have a guess? No? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Arrogant. Okay, go ahead. No? You keep throwing these new ones oh, out, and I'm oh, like, oh, the yeah. one I had. Rhaegar Targaryen? Incorrect. Killed, he killed people in cold blood for power. No. Cal Drogo. Not Cal Drogo. Shoot. That way you already made your guess. Sorry, Spencer. <laughs> His <laughs> yeah, daughter was douche. killed. He was killed by another warrior. <laughs> this one should give it away. He's a follower of fire. Stannis Baratheon. Stannis Baratheon is oh, correct. Nailed what it. a nothing character. Who cares? <laughs> Next one. Male. Warrior, undefeated, sibling rivalry. The mountain. Oh, he, he called fudge. it. He called it. It's the mountain. <laughs> fudge. Frick. The mountain is correct. All right, the next one. Male, ruthless, currently deceased, lord of the Dreadfort. Ramsey Bolton. Incorrect. Ruse Bolton. Ruse Bolton is correct. <laughs> the door. All right, male, warrior. Rob. Killed in season one. Ned. Ned's Wife man. Wife avenges his death. Cal Drogo? Cal Drogo is correct. <gasps> and the last one, male, smart, conniving, backstabber. Oh, the monkey guy. The, the monkey dude, the spider. Incorrect. Do you have a guess, Spencer? <laughs> I was going to say the spider. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he said backstabber. Killed in season one. Spider. Blonde. <laughs> the Ceres Targaryen. The Ceres Targaryen is correct. He, he's not blonde. We he's didn't platinum. Everybody in this room right now is kind of blonde. Dude, blonde force go. We didn't keep points, but that's I great. Would, I would say Spencer is the winner on this one. Well, a blonde. Spencer's the winner in life. It, on the set, you weren't a, you weren't on coach, but on on the coach set, it got to a point where everybody was just coming up with different ways that Spencer is like a like being that exists outside of time, and like everybody should worship him. And they could never find the true answer because there's right. too many. Returning to Game of Thrones, we're coming back here into season five now, where we it's have up. the sparrows showing up, which was a little bit irritating. We have just a lot of irritating things happen. The the people Daenerys talking about with the Slavers Bay, that whole story arc was my least favorite, if you ask me. Worse than Arya's assassin training, which. I know Spencer doesn't like that at all. I don't think many people do, do they? No, no. I'm trying to but think of the things to like about season, season five. Is also when Arya begins her assassin training with the Faceless Men. I think so... they should have skipped that. Season they, sh they should have did what they did with Bran. Season five is like the beginning. I totally agree about that. They yeah. should have skipped it. But season five is where like so many things happen so quickly in the other seasons. It's when they start slowing it down. Was in season five. And everything is kind of lackluster. Where if you put that in like these big moments of other seasons and then had these small moments, season five is just completely small moments. But, except Hard Home. Except yeah, Hard Home. Hard Home really blew my mind when I watched it for the first mm -hmm. time. It was like the biggest battle episode we've seen so far. And it was, I remember hearing something that the director took it as trying to approach it like a horror movie, really suspenseful, drawing you in, and then just like blowing you away with these horror moments. And just the ending with the Night King standing out with his arms out it was it's just iconic. haunting. 
Was, that was a great end to that season. That was such a terrible, terrible season. And one great positive about Game of Thrones is how like they can make you connect with such minor characters so quickly. Because there's that one wildling woman in Hard Home, who just like she like sends her two daughters off, and you you make she feels like a lived in character, and you care about her. She dies, comes back to life, and you feel so bad for her. But she's only in this one episode. She's mad cute. Also true. And then. <laughs> Of course, we end season five with something tragic. Jon Snow is murdered by mutineers. But it's not true. But then we get into season six, and he's resurrected by Melisandre. So it, it you know, give or take, you know. Yeah, but okay. that was a big... Also, I don't understand. Like, that was the biggest pop culture moment at the time. Like, everyone mm-hmm. knew Jon Snow died, and they're like, who's Jon Snow? But we knew he died. Like, that's how I knew The, re- way the back resurrection then. was a bit silly, was it? A little bit. A little bit. I didn't... I just don't like the whole... Like the <gasps> the whole fire people, just in general, the people who worship fire. I've never liked that. I think they're chill. Exactly. Wait, the, the How red, dare the, you? The red people? I love when she gives birth to the shadow baby. That was creepy. It was dope. That was back awesome. Two, that was creepy. And then Thor Samir has like the fire sword. And like the that's other guy comes cool. back I like the line. fire sword. Yeah. See, that's how you know is like his, yeah. where his sensibilities are. Yeah, they're giving birth to a demon that's like tr- exists to assassinate people. <laughs> it's like not with the fire sword. It was dope. Dude, that was great. Also... Obviously, Battle of the Bastards was in this season. What do y'all think? What do y'all think? Ramsey in the next season. No, we're talking about season six. We're in now. six. Never mind. Oh, wait. We didn't even mention the Sand Snakes. I mean, oh, they're so bad. That was definitely the worst part we of the show skip up this. till then. We yeah. Skip, skip, yeah. skip Sand Snakes but for bed. Just do what the show did. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just the Battle of the Bastards was intense, and it was like even better than Hard Home. They keep stepping up with these battle episodes, and I think it was great. It's one of the best movies of that year it came out. I've probably seen Battle of the Bastards like 30 different times. And every time it's just so amazing. Especially when John is just covered over these dead bodies, struggling to breathe and being stomped on by everyone. It comes out and breathes and all hope does feel lost until Littlefinger's army shows up. Absolutely. And it's so sad when the giant dies. It is. Oh. Battle of the Bastards is really, 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 really good for all the reasons that everybody has said. But I do think it represents where the show starts to go bad for me. Or at least or in terms of what what you're all saying is definitely true about how good it is, but I think they took that and with season seven they were like, okay, so people like big action. That's like what the show is now, and the show was really never, or except for certain moments like we've even talked about, but it was never about like big action. It was about like character stuff, and I feel like Battle of the Bastards was so good, and that's what kind of what the show became. Okay, uh, to compare to the battles of season six, season seven. Is what the Battle of the Bastards and the next episode's Battle of the Blowing Up the the Sept are so great is because their emotional payoff for these characters from John getting and defeating Ramsay and Sansy Lair killing Ramsay, and then with Cersei blowing up these sparrows and her rivals. There was so much emotion in those scenes, which season seven just didn't have. The season six finale was dope. I was I was so glad at that end because I hated the sparrows. Just every time I saw them it made me angry. But of course that that was one of my favorite episodes of the whole show was, was that season six episode 10 yeah yep. that, that whole great. part was amazing was great. and the music like for the whole oh, episode i was just about to say that the music is so amazing and so haunting and it's incredible and then the death of tommen is so shocking tommen takes a dive. That's, yes. that's such a good shot i know and then cersei her reaction's not even like human anymore when it happens she just she's accepts it humanity. she accepts all the grief immediately but the plus side now she's the queen yeah which is exactly what she's always wanted to be the real the legit queen. queen. And that brings us right into season seven, where Danny finally, finally makes it to Westeros. And of course, Jon Snow and Daenerys meet. And so we're watching this. A lot more than that. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so we're watching Jon and, and Danny meet, and then they're trying to dig out this dragon glass and trying to decide the next step in beating the Lannisters. And then we get to this epic final meeting between all of the characters we love so much. And they just talk about the future. That's all it is, is them talking about the future. What did you think about that scene where we got to see all our characters together? I think a lot of the stuff where you see characters meet together... Well, specifically with John and Denny, I do like that episode. Like, I didn't know where the season would go after that as far as, like, the quality. But um, it it does feel a bit overwritten. I feel like the, the creators have this feeling of, like, oh, these are two, the two most important characters. We need to, like, say everything and, like, say, like make it, like, a big monologue where I don't know if a lot... I, if I'm being honest, I don't think any of the character meetings in, like, season seven really feel that authentic to, like, the rest of the show. 
I, I can agree with that, except one character meeting, and that's between Brienne of Arth, Tarth and Arya. I think is amazing in the show. These two like warrior women fighting and practicing against one another. Oh, that was so dumb, dude. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Arya's so stupid. She's got like a little tiny sword. I don't like like, Arya, but I love Brienne so much. And them meeting. And I used to love Arya. And it felt like coming full circle. That was like an anime where it's like you got the characters in the back being like, oh, oh, like looking at the fight. And I don't know. Well, there was, oh my God, like the hound meeting everybody in that one episode. We'll talk about that maybe in a minute. (laughs) Oh, the hound gets destroyed. His characters. Oh my God, dude. The, are we going to talk about the, the worst episode in the show? Do you, know, do you all know what you're talking about? Do it. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The, no. When I say worst episode in the show? It's the go one, for it. the Suicide Squad episode where they team up and go <laughs> yeah. outside of the wall. It's like everything is, oh my God, the zombie polar bear. And the and then they like tried to do another fake kill Jon Snow thing, which no one believed at all. Wait, which one was that? That same episode, like when he like fell in the water and then like Benjen saved him and then Benjen died. Wait, years. was Jon Snow with all of them? Yeah, you oh, mean beyond okay. the wall, right? Yeah, I'm I'm just remembering everything. I only remember the stupid parts of D. I, I'm I'm gonna say the D word for for this little part just because I have to quote it. Okay. Is is a the the worst line? Maybe not just in Game of Thrones, but like I couldn't believe I saw this on my TV. Was where what was it? The ginger wildling Tormund. Yeah, Tormund. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Hound is like shut up, Dick. And then Tormund, like you know, being a wildling, like doesn't know what that word means. He goes, Dick, what's that? Or no, and then he like explains what it is, and he goes, "Dick, I like Dick." And then it goes to, to uh, the hound, and he's like, "I bet you do." And it's like, "This is what is this show? What is happening?" When I rewatched it after you told me all this months ago, that dialogue is like so consistent with the rest of it, though. The rest of the show? Yeah, you're crazy. No, when they have like these moments of just sexual talk for no reason, kind Even of. Even that he's like, for "I got him. a girl back home." You know, Brand of Tarth. Wait, sorry, go ahead. Were you... All right, so just by the wayside with time constraints, we're going to talk about season eight, what's oh. coming up. I do have something for you guys that might interest you based on what you were talking about earlier. I've been t- talking to my dad, who is a Game of Thrones fan, and he has a coworker whose friend has seen, quote, claimed to have seen one of these scripts to Game of Thrones. Liar. <laughs> and they're saying that Littlefinger is not dead. Liar. That's so That's stupid. stupid. But here's here's where it gets tricky. So you can see in one of the ep- in one of the episodes, here's how the theory goes. I just want to put it out for you. I don't know. If, I don't even know if I believe it. Can but I guess it? You can guess it. Does he become like the new Night King? No, 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 no. Then it's stupid. It's he's not the new Night <laughs> King. That'd be stupid. What do you mean? What the the theory is is that the person that died was not Littlefinger. It was a faceless man, and that he gives a coin to a girl in one of the episodes. You can see him hand a coin to a girl. In one of the episodes, and they're saying that that's one of the iron coins from Bravos, you know, the Valar Margulis thing. And they're saying that that's not him dead, and they think that Littlefinger will end up on the Iron Throne. This show's stupid. TV shows are stupid. This is all, I don't know. I, I'm excited to see where it goes, just so, I don't know. I hope it's consistent with season seven. I hope it's just as, like, dumb. I Well, here's the thing, though. I get why people like season seven. All right, I, sorry, I wish I had, yeah, the Littlefinger's thing is stupid, but I... <laughs> With, I get why people like season seven because there's a lot of good moments in it, but I, what I liked about the show before is completely gone now. I, I, they sped everything up to like a hundred percent. Like everybody's teleporting from one place to another. The thing I liked about the show was how it was like a fantasy show that was like super realistic, and like people would just die from like getting a wound infection, and like people would take like half of the season would be like one character walking from one place to the other and having adventures that, like on the way and like getting raped and stuff. And this is not there anymore. It's just fuck. It's fudging stupid. <laughs> and to bring up the last point, each of you, who do you want to end up on the Iron Throne, and who do you think will end up on the Iron Throne? I don't think there's going to be an Iron Throne. Elaborate. There's either a fire's going to lit it on fire, or the Night King's going to freeze it and it's going to break. I don't think there will be an Iron Throne. All right. Podrick. All right. Ryan, do you have an input? No, I agree with what Spencer said. I think, like, whoever does take control is not going to, like, sit on the Iron Throne at the end. Like, that's not going to be the last shot. George R. R. Martin has said something about the ending, and it is that I think he specifically said it's a bittersweet ending. 
And so I can't I can't expect that, that John and Daenerys are going to be on the throne at the end, except the show's stupid, so they might make that happen. That could be his ending, though, because the show's at this point, and that's almost so different from the books. That could have an entirely different ending. Absolutely. They probably will. Pro- it'll probably be John and Danny on the throne with their little kid who's going to take over someday and it's going to be happy. Because no characters die anymore, right? I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. No characters die anymore, right? What? Everybody, no, I think the whole thing with die. Game of Thrones, they used and everybody used to die at any any time. It's like anybody could die, like nobody's safe. You're like constantly on edge. Now, who was the last person that like had a real death that was like surprising? Little finger. Well, that was surprising. That no. wasn't stupid. I think that's why people are excited for season eight because they think where season seven lacked, that's where season eight will pick up and will start killing off so many characters. No, I I agree with that. I think I just want to feel authentic, like stuff like the or any character that died felt so real and so natural and so like. Like, I, yeah, I guess authentic. And then now it's just like a yeah, fan, but, fan fiction. Go ahead. But I think it's going to happen. Like with the Battle of Winterfell, when the Night King people come down and then they're all there. Now they have so many characters that just like survived through the last season. They can just dispatch them in like combat. Yeah, so it's like realistic. Like, AMC.com or whatever. Like this character died now. It's like I don't have any investment. I don't know. Spencer. All right. <laughs> that's Dylan <laughs> Spencer do you have anything last to say uh, just about season 8 is that there's this really great battle scene that's supposed to happen and it took 70 night shoots to film that's true and the extras uh, reported walking about 50,000 steps a day Whoa. which is physically insane and I'm really excited alright well season 8 of Game of Thrones premieres this Sunday on HBO of course and now to close out the show, we are going to name our classic movie of the week. Each week, we pick one movie that is artistically significant to be considered a classic. What is this week's selection, Ryan? Our classic movie of the week is Jaws. Steven Spielberg's first major hit, Jaws swam into theaters in 1975, shocking and terrifying audiences everywhere. Jaws follows the harrowing journey of a small New England sheriff, a shark expert, and a seasoned fisherman as they hunt a monstrous killer shark. Jaws won the 1976 Academy Awards for Best Sound, Film Editing, and Music and was nominated for Best Picture. Spielberg was also nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Director. Jaws also gave us the iconic theme from the five-time Academy Award-winning composer John Williams. Jaws was a revolutionary turn in the horror and thriller genres that gave audiences thrills and chills and sparked a moderately successful franchise. Jaws showed filmmakers the truth to powerful tension and suspense in their movies. The film has gone to stand the test of time and stand as one of the greatest horror and suspense films of all time. We're at the end of our show now. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Do me and Spencer get a classic movie that we can suggest? Yeah, you can suggest one. Baby's Day Out by the the, the <laughs> classic director, John Hughes. <laughs> um, a classic movie, a classic movie. I'll do The Amazing Spider-Man too. Those are all <laughs> those are all timeless interesting classics. selections. But Mark Webb also a great director. That is true. Oh, I take it back. Five Hundred Days of Summer is a classic movie. Okay, okay, better. Box office breakdown is brought to you by WNSC University of Central Florida Orlando. That's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail dot com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll discuss the box office performances of The Wrath of Man from this past weekend and Spiral Book of Saw from this upcoming weekend.